I am Bobby Tonelli, and you're listening to Do Not Click. Check, check, one, two. You're listening to... Wow, okay. I like this. Now it's like back in radio style. Old style again. Yeah. The last one was you and Ross, right? Yeah. Uh, then after that, I went to Class 95. I was there for about a year and then I bailed out. You've been trying to learn Bahasa, right? Trying to. Indonesian Bahasa because my partner, but you know, there's the formalized Bahasa and then there's the Street Bahasa. Can you try doing the intro in Bahasa? Oh, I cannot, man. I cannot. Apa kabar? Nama saya Bob. Nama saya Bobby Tonelli. Saya mendengarin. Uh, mendengarin. Yeah. In, do not Yeah. Yeah, do not click. Do not click. Okay. <laughs> All right. 43rd, 44th birthday today? 44th. Yesterday, man. 44. 44 years old. Oh, man. Wow. And does it bother you, your age, hitting 44? You know, it's just interesting. I guess it doesn't bother me per se. I mean, I feel the same, but... You know, in an industry where youth is such a big deal, especially in Asia, I mean, it is one of those things where you kind of go, okay, you know, like how this clock is ticking, so to speak, you know, how long can I ride this wave for? Because obviously, as you get older, you know, certain jobs that you had in your 30s, you're not going to get in your 40s. But then on the flip side, certain jobs you would not get in your 30s, you're going to get in your 40s. So it's all kind of balances out in a lot of ways, but it is challenging. You don't look like in your 40s at all. You know, you do look in your, in your 30s. Well, thank you. I mean, I hope hopefully that stays the same. <laughs> I think that's due to the weather, man. And I don't feel like I'm in my 40s at all. I mean, I've actually, if you, I mean, in my mind, I feel like I'm still in my 20s. Yeah, I look at my driver's license. I look at my birth certificate. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm hitting 30 next year. 30? Yeah, stepping into the 30 zone. Wow. I'm not bothered with growing old, but to me, you know, as you grow old, you're closer to death, right? So if I'm closer to dying, then there's less things for me or less time for me to accomplish my goals. I mean, honestly, when I when I turned 30, I remember I was I was depressed, man. I was working two jobs. I mean, I was in LA. I was trying to be an actor, but at the same time, I got caught up with, you know, friends making money, doing all these kind of things. And so I was doing all these side jobs, trying to make money. And I got sidetracked from my passion, which was, you know, filmmaking as an actor and everything else. And when I hit 30, I'm like, what the hell did I just do with my 20s? You know what I mean? I was in a long-term relationship that didn't work out and kind of ended when I was 30. You know, I was working two jobs just to try to like pay rent and pay my car payment and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm like, what did I just do? And so I think that was one of the reasons why when I moved to Singapore, when I was 32 years old, I like, that's it. I'm going to concentrate on what my passion is. If I make it, if I don't, it's okay. But at least I can say I gave it a shot because I I mean, I screwed up my 20s. I don't want to screw up my 30s. Oh, man, I feel the same way. You know, when I was in my teenage years, I spent a lot of time just hanging out with my friends in Esplanade, mm. just talking. You know, we're still drinks. in Esplanade, by the way. Yeah, yeah we're in Esplanade. <laughs> and, then, and then when I started working in my previous job, which is at a boxing gym, yeah. I did video stuff there. There were kids my age during that time just like accomplishing stuff like, you know, getting medals in like boxing matches. But I guess it's also because they are afforded with all these facilities nowadays. Like back then, yeah. stuff available now is not available back then. Sure. Yeah. So I really envy like the stuff kids nowadays can do. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot more resources. And that was one of the interesting things for me because when I moved out here from America, I mean, obviously there's a ton of resources out there in America. And so when I came out here, especially in the entertainment industry, I mean, you saw so much talent, but you also saw the limitations based on the resources. Yeah. You know, and it's getting better, but still, still some improvement needed. Yeah. Yeah. You were born in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, man. Born oh, and raised. <laughs> what are you doing in Singapore? <laughs> Las Dude, Vegas. That, that's you, a, cr- yeah. You could have led the burlesque, uh, the gambling life. <laughs> no, no, no. My dad, he worked in the casino industry all, I mean, all my life, you know? Oh, so I saw all that. And he always used to tell me, he's like, look, this town isn't built off winter, so, you know, stay out of the casinos. And it, I mean, I did play recreationally for fun, but I never was a heavy gambler to where, I mean, if he always told me like, look, if you put $20 down and you win 40, get out, get out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I was that kind of person. So I just do once in a great while. I never was attracted to gambling. I did valet parking in a, in a couple of casinos when I was 18. And that was fun. Good summer money to make and stuff like that. And, and I knew that worst case scenario, if I wasn't able to follow my dreams or do what I wanted to do, which was actually playing baseball back then, then whatever, then obviously acting came into play. But if that didn't work out, I could always go back to Vegas and I could always work in that industry. But I mean, it just wasn't in the cards for me. You know? Right. So your debt owns a casino? Or no, 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 no. He, I think he, he, he filthy rich. No, 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 no. Actually, he started off as a, as a dealer. And ah, okay, uh, okay. I mean, he did a lot of, a lot of jobs throughout his younger years. And then I think when I was born, he was a dealer. And then from there, he obviously just kept getting promoted. He ended up being like casino manager. Okay. And then before he passed away in 2000. 
Yeah. So I got to see a lot of those. I mean, when I was obviously like a little young kid, I never understood, but as a teenager and a young adult, then I started understanding a little bit more about the industry and stuff like that. I know a lot of my friends, when they share with me their gambling stories, they say that they walked in with 100 bucks and then they earned like maybe a thousand bucks and then it went down to $50. Mm. So, so it's like they, they make profit and then it, somewhere along the line, they turn out to be a loss. That's always how, to, how it happens. I mean, some people get lucky and they can actually <laughs> walk out with a profit. But I mean, I've met professional gamblers in my lifetime. And a lot of them, they play by the percentage of, of winning or losing, depending on the machine or depending on yeah. what, they're play, what game they're playing. But you know, you've got you've to take your emotions out of gambling in order <laughs> to, I would say, not survive, but at least better the odds. Nice. So you went to Germany recently, last week? Yeah, man. I was in Germany. I was there for Leica. Uh, so they say hello. Hello? In we Germany, say, it's like hello, right? Uh, I, I, tried to, I tried to Google it. Actually, they say hello. This is a hello. That's it. That's it. I mean, they're it was very like, oh, hello, hello. Hello, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How was it like that? Is it your first time in Germany? First time in Germany. It was interesting. It was kind of a pseudo last minute trip because I was in New York the week before that. And I was there with Microsoft and I got an email, uh, or actually a WhatsApp message. And late at night, because obviously that the time zone difference. And they're like, look, we have this trip for Germany. Would you like to go? And, yes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I mean, I looked at my schedule, I'm like, fantastic. You know, we're just kind of working out the logistics and how long I'm going to be there for and what I could do. I mean, what I was, I mean, obviously knew I was there for, which I can't talk about currently till later on. Secret then project. I, it was a secret project. But I was like, yeah, let's make it happen. So we German worked on it. Spy. German yeah. spy. No, <laughs> hardly. Hardly. No, I mean, I was there for Leica. So you can, yeah. <laughs> Why can't I get a job that forced me to travel to Germany? You know, this is the first time, man. I mean, honestly, like the last couple of weeks, I've gone from what, Singapore, New York, Vegas to see my mom for a couple of days. Then I, went, uh, then I flew out of LA, back to Singapore. Then I went to Manila to host a beauty pageant, came back, and then I went off to Germany. So it's, it was a crazy. Like traveling traveling for the first couple of weeks of October. You know, I remember that I had to go to Japan and then I had to go to Hong Kong, like back to back. Yeah. So, you know, the difference in culture, because you know, people in Japan are so respectful, so hygienic. This is not a knock to people in Hong Kong, but the, the culture difference is just like very drastic. Very different. Yeah, yeah so very different. When you, you mentioned you went to New York and then you went to Germany, what was the biggest cultural differences that you can see? You know, it's, I mean, New York is New York. I mean, New York is a bustling you know, city, it's, it's international, it's cosmopolitan. I mean, it's moving and shaking. And then, you know, I was in a place called Wetzlar, Germany, which is a very small town. I mean, extremely small. They got an old part of town that's, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of years old. It's really old, right? So it, it's, these are two different, you can't even compare them. I mean, it's like a small suburb versus a big city. But in terms of the personalities of people, I mean, I found the Germans very friendly, you know, very hospitable, you know, I mean, it's just how it is. New Yorkers actually are not bad either, but New Yorkers are about move and shake. It's like, come on, Cross space, you know, right. make a decision. Let's go. If you don't have, a, if you can't make a decision, if you're ordering food, then just, you know, you think about it and then let us know because we're not going to sit in here and waste our time. <laughs> That's kind of their, their vibe, which I get and I respect because they don't have a lot of time. Mm. Fast know? pace, right? Fast pace. Yeah, it's, I think it's about the same as Singapore and Hong Kong and maybe Japan. Like yeah. everything just moves so fast. Yeah, so going back to your, maybe your, your background a little bit. Yeah. You have a painting background? Were you a painter once? Yeah. <laughs> I actually had an art background. So art was something that I studied since I was a young kid. And it was something that, I mean, it was funny. When I was in high school, I was taking college courses in various different subjects. And art was one of them. And had a couple art schools interested in talking to me more. But I was obviously concentrating on baseball and sports. And that was my driving force back then. So I never really thought about doing much with the art. But it was always something I was passionate about. And so I guess, yeah, how it all kind of came about is I've just done some paintings over the years and a feature film that I did here in Singapore in 2004, which was called Cages. I was playing an artist and I painted the, the paintings in that. I mean, and it's not something I've, I mean, have I sold paintings? Yes. Am I a an accomplished artist? No. What am I going to go sit and I say, I'm an artist? And no, man. I mean, I, I like to paint and I enjoy it. And if someone want, likes my work, great. But I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, I'm an artist. You know, <laughs> this is what I do for a living now. Yeah. As a painter, you obviously like have that artistic imagination mm -hmm. or that mindset, right? Yeah. And then down the line, you became a model. You know, you had acting yeah. and all that. So do you still see yourself as an artist? Like when you act and when you yeah, host totally. or whatever, like you see, like, you know, it's a work of art. Totally. It is, I guess you could say for me, I mean, art is everything. I mean, it's everything that we do in a lot of different ways. It's funny because 
when I was in LA, while I was trying to be an actor, I also worked in various different industries and I used to sell Yellow Page advertising. <laughs> the book? Yeah, yeah, the book. Yeah, back in the day. And I don't think it exists anymore. Oh, yeah. This was pre-iPhone, pre-smartphones, right? Or just the beginning of it all. And I remember that we would have to create ads or kind of mock out ads and we would send those ads, like send them off to India and then they would do them up on Photoshop or Illustrator, then send them back to us and then we'd approve it and give it to the clients. Well, a lot of the work I was getting was not what I wanted. So I ended up having to learn Photoshop. So I ended up creating ads and doing all the art because I wasn't happy with what I was getting and I wanted my clients to get better you know, artwork. So there's always that passion. I mean, even with acting and everything, it's all about creating and shaping and, and just doing stuff. So I always find whatever I do, there's always something with art that kind of gets involved with it. Now, I don't paint so much. I'm more into photography and then I'm more into you know, the post-production and all that kind of stuff. But even with acting or hosting, you are creating something, you know, even you're hosting an event. It could be a D&D or it could be a corporate event, but you're creating an atmosphere where for two hours or three hours, these employees that have been working their asses off for a year out of the company, they want to have a good time. So you got to create this atmosphere of fun and vibrancy. And it's, yeah, you got a script and all that fun stuff, but there's other things you have to create outside of that. So there's still aspects and no matter what you look at, there's, you could say, use of art. Well, it's a very interesting take on your aspect of the job, applying the artistic life and all that. Having that background read somewhere like in your Wikipedia that a director had you do a painting role because of your background as an artist. That was, that was Cages. It Cages, wasn't because yeah. of the, exactly because of my back, art background, but it did help. And it also helped that the director, who is an accomplished artist himself, and his father is a professional artist. He taught me a new technique because we were... It's going to sound a little bit artsy in terms of the creative of the actor, you know, that kind of stuff. But but we wanted a certain personality from the character. And so we wanted that personality to be portrayed by the art that he paints. Mm, Right. So I had to learn a different style, a different technique that I'm not used to doing. Okay. And so that was kind of the homework that I had as an actor was painting these paintings, you know, and learning a different style. And so I learned through that. And then as an essence, it kind of gave me that you know, it just helped build that character up a little bit more. You did runway model first or yeah. <laughs> you did acting? No, man. Well, okay. How would I say this? I was studying acting first. The modeling came about because I was just doing odd and in jobs in LA. You know, I was doing telemarketing. I was waiting tables. I was doing everything just to try to make money because at this time I was pursuing acting. I hurt my shoulder. I was a baseball player. So I had to my rotator cuff and I couldn't play baseball professionally anymore. So I realized that while I was still in university, I had to do something else. So I was doing odds and ends jobs, and I was also taking theater classes. And a friend of mine said, why don't you try modeling? You know, And I was a <laughs> very different looking guy. Like I was about 93 kg at my biggest point. And I was a big boy, and I just cared about baseball and sports. I mean, I've never thought of myself as like a model type, but I met an agent, and he's like, look, you can model, but you're going to have to, because I had very long hair at the time, cut your hair, lose about 20 kg. And we'll see what we can do with some photos. So I did that. And then that was in 1996 or so. And then 97, yeah, I got sent on my pictures and I ended up being in Singapore. That was my first time ever modeling. We really was in Singapore. But were you always perceived as a very good looking guy? And that's why you got into modeling? No. I mean... It was interesting as in going to high school and everything else. I wasn't like the good-looking guy. I mean, I guess all over you. No, actually, no. No, actually, no. I was a very shy kid growing up. Very, very shy not secure in myself, and I would hide behind, I was very much into, I liked fashion. I used to hide behind like, you know, rock look or I leather jackets and, you know, longer hair and beards. I always still like try to dress myself up to be like this bad boy, but inside I really wasn't, you know, but I think as a young teenager, you're trying to find your yourself. And so I was trying to find that side of me. And yeah, so I never, well, I mean, I had a girlfriend, like I, my, my first girlfriend was when I was 18 in high school. So I was a late bloomer. You know, and I was very shy to talk to girls, very, very shy. So no, I mean, it was funny though, after I came back from Singapore in 1997, like early 1990, like in 1997, beginning of 1998, you know, I was modeling for a number of months. I had more confidence in myself. I obviously looked a lot different. I looked a lot better than what I did in high school. So I remember I'd go to Vegas, we'd go out to some bars and all these girls that in high school, they would see me, they, they never gave me a second look in high school, were like trying to chat me up. And I'm like, wow, what's this? Because I wasn't used to it, you know? Yeah. When I look at you through media, like your Instagram or like magazine ads or whatever, you are always well-dressed. 
So I think that your fashion sense or like because you're so preppy and you know you groom yourself very well, I think well, that adds to the Well, know. there's that's years of training and and learning along the way and help from a lot of people. But yeah, I mean I guess as t- years went on, I learned a little bit more about myself and how to take care of myself better and learn how to present myself or at least try to. And you know what's always funny is like how we perceive ourselves is very different from how others perceive you. So it's interesting you tell me that because for me, I'm always like, man, I look at other people I'm like, wow, they look, they have so much more fashion sense than I do. Man, I wish I could, you know. Do you take a lot of investment in grooming yourself? I mean, yeah, you have to. I mean, this is an industry that you have to, to take, you have to take um, pride in the way you look, you know? And I mean, yeah, I mean, I get up and I look like crap every morning, you know, we all do. And I mean, there's days I just don't give a shit, but <laughs> I woke up like this. Yeah. I mean, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I woke up like this, like looking like, you know, like I got hit by a big truck, you know, but we out there, I mean, what my job is, part of my job is out there being in the public and, you know, it's trying to, you know, look your best. And because everything I post up online nowadays, obviously clients from are looking at it, you know, people that watch me on television, look at it. So it's, yeah, it's a little, you know. So obviously your looks play a big part in like your whole industry that you are in, like modeling or acting, but has it ever been a disadvantage for you? Like you being pigeonholed to a certain, or you can't do this role, you can't do this role because you're too good looking. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And there's so many times where there are certain roles that I've wanted to go out for and they just didn't feel I was the right because I looked, they would say too good looking or I looked too or I (laughs) or didn't just, you know, I looked too pretty. I remember it was a funny story, I ended, and which ended up happening. I ended up hosting the show. It was a show called Celebrity Car Wars. It was on History Asia. Oh, with Muna and all that. Right, exactly. If there's a the two-minute trailer, like a good one minute of it is like Muna screaming like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she was she was great on that show. And yeah, Muna was great. I mean, she added a lot of excitement for that show. But yeah, interesting thing, when I first auditioned for that, they told me, they said, can you like rough yourself up a little bit like you know like raw a beard you know look a little bit more scruffy scruffy because the director thought I was just too pretty for the role he just thought I was just too good looking too polished and so I came in there way more of myself really and then just my passion about cars and I ended up getting the job which was I was shocked and I realized that being too pretty too polished while it might work for some people it just didn't work for me because it's not real because a lot of people, I mean, it's weird. weird. I, I'm not a big firm. How do I say this? To talk about looks is a bit funny, but yeah. But in terms of the industry, yeah, it has affected a lot of things I've done. I mean, there's certain roles I just don't get because of my race and just how I look. Yeah. Mm, what about like personal life? Is it harder making friends because people are insecure around you? I mean, you know, what's interesting is like when I was younger in Vegas and when I was doing the modeling and I came back, yeah, I had some problems with that. But I think it was just more, it wasn't because of me. It was because of them, you know? But now, I mean, most of my friends are somehow in the industry. And if they're not, I mean, they're very successful in their own right. So looks don't come into play. And I don't even think about that. I mean, for me, it's more about the human connection than it is how I look. How I look is part of my job, but it's, that doesn't define me. That's right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're a really approachable guy, man. No, thanks. When I DM you on Instagram, I thought it would be like the lower half of the totem pole, <laughs> like, you know, under like a bunch of thirsty DMs from girls. Like, I don't get but, any but, of those, yeah. <laughs> you replied me straight away and then you even followed me on Instagram. And I was like, huh? Yeah. A lot of like people that I do the podcast with, unless you have a blue tick on your name, <laughs> you know, they, they don't give like... Why? They don't really care to follow back or whatever. So I think you're a really nice guy. No, man. I mean, I look at it as like, Social media is about being social, right? And it's about connecting with people and be, and learning about people. And it doesn't matter if they have a blue tick or not, honestly mm. speaking. I mean, there's a lot of blue tick people that are assholes out there. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, so I mean, you were very, the way you, you, you emailed me, you hit me up on Instagram and I was like, cool. Well, yeah, why not? You know, let's find out more about you, follow you and you know, you're very kind. So why not? Yeah. You mentioned Angmo earlier. Uh, yeah. This is just for me to educate myself. Like, yeah. is it a negative connotation, the word Angmo? I don't look at it as a negative connotation. I mean, it's just... I'm in Singapore. That's what they call white people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some people, some people might be a little bit woke and call them and get offended by it. I don't. I don't at all. I mean, it is what it is, you know? Right. The term doesn't bother you. No. Right. So how did the transition like after modeling and then you went to acting? Well, I was always studying acting, but modeling was sort of an interim just so I could travel the world, make some money, learn a little bit more about myself. And I use that as a, more of a platform to kind of grow as an individual because I never wanted to be a professional model for my lifetime. And that's not at all. I actually wanted to be an actor and that was what I was focusing on. But I did realize that if I could make some money modeling and I could travel the world and get some experience outside of America, that would be great. 
So that's what I used it for. Okay. You know? And yeah. the transition from modeling and into yeah. acting, I, how yeah. did that work? Do you have an agent to get you the gigs and all that? I mean, in Singapore, I do. But I mean, when I was in America, yeah, I did. So, I mean, I was very fortunate that, you know, I was introduced to some good people and I got some agents. But, you know, in LA, it's like, if you don't book the jobs right away, the agencies have so many people that they kind of put you on the, on the like, we call it side-pocketed, which is a term that they use out there, which basically means like, you're part of the roster, but they're not going to concentrate on you. If there is a mass, like an audition that they think you're right for, they'll put you out there, but they're not going to like, you know, be actively pushing because they're going to be pushing the people that make money right away for them because it's a business. It's a business first and foremost. Do you do ads and promos first before you did like proper TV shows? Yeah, man, I did commercials and stuff like that. And then, you know, because of my baseball background, I did some baseball commercial stuff in America you know, for various different things. And I did extra work. I did all that kind of stuff. You have to. I mean, that's how you earn your stripes out there. You just can't walk in and get a role right away. I mean, okay, there are some people that get that, that opportunity and it's very, very fortunate, but the average actor out there has to really earn their stripes. Right. Yeah. And how did the stint with MediaCorp came along? Who signed you? I didn't, I never was signed. Okay, I was only signed for the radio portion of it. So how it worked is that, I think when I got to Singapore in 2007, I think a few months later, I was casted as a role as Ang Peng Xiong's coach for some kind of, you know, those like hyper reality shows they had like where they kind of like reality based, but it's kind of like a docudrama. So I played one role of that. And then from there, I did a Malay drama. And so my- uh, Malay drama? Yeah, it was Atas Heights. Okay. And so Fly Entertainment at the time was sort of just kind of helping me get out there. They were not my full-time management company. They were like, look- you're a white guy. We'll try, see what we can get with you. But we, you know, they told me straight out, we don't know if there's gonna be a lot of work for you. So it was one of those things where they would submit me on things, and I got a couple of jobs, and it kind of worked its way up. And then when I got the little Nonia, when I was brought in to cast for that, and I got that, that's when everybody's like, "Whoa, okay, you can actually, you're gonna work," because that show turned out to be very big. And then fighting spiders after that, then my agency signed me full on. And then it just kind of went from there. So far in like media, what was the most fulfilling project that you've been a part of? I mean, I guess you could say, I guess you could say fighting spiders would, would have been because I mean, two seasons as a main character, which was a very challenging role for me because I had to play a 40 plus year old divorcee dad. And I was 30 to 33 at the time. Yeah, that's right. You know, and... I had to learn a British accent. I had to do all these things, which was so challenging because I've never, I didn't have any coaching. I was basically on YouTube learning, you know, British accent and it was okay, passable. I mean, by today's standards, it probably wouldn't be good. But at that time, there was no dialect coach out there. There was nothing like that. You got to do it on your own. I mean, I had YouTube. That's all I had was YouTube. And then I had to put on weight for it. I had to really change my appearance to sort of match what they wanted. They must really pay you very well for this. No. No, TV, no, TV doesn't pay well. TV doesn't pay well. To have like a lot of your expect of your life change, like, you know, gaining weight and all that, but you have to be really immersed in the role. But I mean, I looked at it as an opportunity and that's how I look at everything. It's like, someone gives you an opportunity, you can either go out at half-ass right. and then you could, ah, okay, that was fine. Let's move on and then move on to something else. Or you can give it 110%, do the best job you can and people will look at that and they look at your work ethic and opportunities grow from there. Opportunities grow from there. Because I had a lot of people tell me like, they're like, Bobby, why are you gaining weight for this? Honestly speaking, (laughs) it's a MediaCorp show, you know? And I'm like- Losing your abs and all that. Yeah, I mean, because I came from being super fit to being pudgy and eating whatever I wanted to and having to put on, I think like 10 kgs in like a month. So I was just pounding and putting on the pounds or the kilos. And, you know, when I was cast for that show, funny enough, I wasn't the director's first choice. I know that. I was the networks, and I think also probably had to do with, you know, Little Nonia and different things I was involved in. And so they thought, okay, you know, he's kind of getting some popularity. Let's put him in this role. But I didn't look like a dad at all. Uh, you know, when I, met, when I first met the directors, they looked at me, and I could tell I wasn't their first choice. And so then I looked at them, and I said, we went for a wardrobe fitting and I said, guys, I look too young for this role. Can I age myself? And they're like, what do you have in mind? And, age yourself. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to put on weight. I'm going to grow a mustache. I'm going to really age myself. And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. So I did that and it became a rewarding show. But funny thing when you do something like that is after you're done with one season, you drop the weight. Then season two comes about, you got to put the weight back on. So yeah, it's challenging, but I don't mind it because it's a great opportunity. You like the job. I like the job. I mean, that's part of being an actor, you yeah. know? And how many times you get to be a main character in a series for two seasons on a show that a lot of people really liked, 
that kind of changed the way TV was shot and looked at on Channel 5. So it was interesting. And you mentioned earlier, it's like your canvas, you know, as an artist. Yeah. They're doing a painting. Exactly. So I'm creating a character and I have to create it physically and emotionally and, you know, everything else. So... Wow. Is your partner in flight entertainment as well? No, she has nothing to do with entertainment at all. No, my previous partner was, she was on Fly with Media Corp, obviously, yeah, joined, but not my current partner, no. So how did Irene Ang discover you? <laughs> Actually, Irene, I met Irene when I first, okay, so I shot a film here in 2004 called Cages, and yeah. independent film, and then it was released in the theaters here, limited release in 2007. And so when I was here, you know, obviously we we're doing promo for it, we were doing, you know, all the newspaper stuff, and then... I met Irene at, uh, you know, we, we, I met Irene out one night and we were chatting and talking about possibly working in Singapore if I was decided to move here. Because at that point in time, I thought, wow, Singapore is really changing, more, more cosmopolitan. Maybe there'd be some opportunities for a foreigner here. And then they were like, yeah, there's foreigners that do theater, but not really TV. And I'm like, why not? And they said, well, there's not really any roles. And I said, well, has anyone really tried? And they were like, well, not really because there's no opportunities. And so, for me, I thought that's a good challenge because, you know, why not give it a shot, you know, and be something different from America. And I like Asia and I thought it'd be a great way to sort of take myself away from the distractions of America of me not fulfilling my dreams and at least trying it here. And I had no idea. I mean, I'm beyond the minority in an industry like this. You know, people will say, well, you're an expat, you have all these jobs and opportunities come to you. I'm like, not in media. It's the opposite, complete opposite. So I decided to give it a shot. I mean, she was supportive, but a bit like, like, okay, like if you want to come out here, go for it. But I mean, don't, you know, don't expect uh, to be working all the time. Well, expectation down low. Oh, they were completely low, like to nothing. Like almost like you better get another job because you're not going to survive. So that's why I, when I first came here in 2007, I started off as a model again. And so I went from living my own condo to my own car to living in a model's apartment. You live in your car? No, no, no. No, in my, in my own car. Oh, I okay, live in my own okay. condo. <laughs> I like all my stuff in America to like living in a model's apartment with some models from, you know, different parts of the world, you know, sharing a room with somebody. Male model or female? Male, male model, male okay, model, yeah, okay. you know. <laughs> so I was like imagining no, in, no, my, no, 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 in no. my head like a, a No, box. man, no. <laughs> Wasn't that exciting. But I mean, I went down this road of kind of starting from scratch. So I literally rebooted my life at 32 years old being in Singapore. I mean, I came out here with like $700 in my bank account. At the time, I had to borrow money to come out here on a plane ticket because, I mean, I put all my money into, I had a recently moved condos before I moved out to Singapore and I had a flatmate at the time. So I had to put all my money in a deposit there and all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, man, I just came out. I was like, I got to do this. Every guest that I've had who is from Fly, they always have nice things to say about Fly Entertainment. Well, I mean, they're a good company. They're a yeah, good company. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's always like, I think, growing pains. And I've been with Fly for what, nine years, 10 years? There's growing pains with any company and, you know, you go through good times and you go through struggling times, but they've always been there for me. I mean, it's been a great experience thus far. And look, honestly, it's not like MediaCorp was knocking down my door to sign me. And if they were when I was younger, I might have looked at that opportunity because, you know, being a MediaCorp artist obviously affords you a lot more opportunities. Right. But that wasn't happening, especially me being an Ong Mo. So, <laughs> I mean, because I, you know, I did some Chinese dramas, I did Malay dramas, but you know what I mean? I'm not, a, I wouldn't be a consistent artist for them. But then the radio came into play and that's when they signed me for radio. So right. in a way, I was a MediaCorp, I was part of MediaCorp family, but in radio. I want to get more into radio, yeah. but before I ask that, because you were worried about the opportunities that you're going to get in Singapore, right? Yeah. But did hard work help you more for you to get the opportunities or it was just... A stream of... I guess it was a bit of both. I mean, obviously, it's being at the right place at the right time, right. you know, which I think in this industry is, is is a big factor, to be frank with you, because I was at a time, there was no foreign actors at all, mm. at all. So I was the only one. So if, you know... Exotic. A, yeah, exotic. So if a Malay drama wanted a, you know, a foreigner, like they want to be an Australian or American or a British guy to get married to a woman or whatever the case could be, I was the guy. If there was an other shows that required a foreigner, I was the guy because usually they would just hire some, you know, some random guy off the streets or, you know, maybe, you know, part-time commercial actor, whatever the case was, or a model to do these things if they could. So someone that had acting experience, I was around for it. And I guess it was just the timing, you know, honestly speaking, it was just timing. And I mean, obviously work ethic, I think does come into play. You know, you got to, you know, I'm a foreigner in a foreign country, so I can't, the one thing I realized, I knew this when I was modeling here back in 1997, but I knew it when I was going to get into acting is that I can't be American 
on a Singaporean set, meaning I can't expect everybody to do the American way or the Hollywood way of that's not going to work. You know, everyone's going to think you're an asshole. They're going to think you're stuck up. They're going to think you've got a chip on your shoulder. So I have to work like a Singaporean does. And that's how I adapted. I just said, look, I'm here in Singapore. I'm going to work like everybody else does. I'm going to work twice as hard. I'm going to, you know, do the best I can. And hopefully that relates to more work. So I'm sure while you were moving your way up to the acting industry, in the beginning, it's probably going to be like unsure about your capabilities as an actor and all that. Oh, yeah. So it's probably more trial by fire and then you cut your acting chops and all that. So which part of your life that you know, is finding click for you or it feels like very natural for you to act and all that? I think it, it's unsafe there's really a time. I mean, I think, I mean, I've done a number of shows and I think that, I think through each show, there's a moment within every show that you do. At the very beginning, it's always a little bit uncertainty because everybody's feeling everybody out. And, you know, we don't get a lot of rehearsal time with a lot of TV shows. I think Fighting Spiders was one that we had a lot of rehearsal time with. But a lot of them, you get hired and you basically come on set, you know, and that's it. You rehearse that day of and you shoot. But I think every role I do, there's a moment where it clicks. And I can't tell you where it's at. And I can't tell you how. So usually it's a, maybe some it's a couple of days into the role. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks into it. It just hits. It clicks. And all of a sudden, you don't feel like you're acting anymore. It's just there. And I think a lot has to do with the director, with the team, with the writers, with your other actors out there, and you're bouncing off each other. So it's really interesting in that way. I mean, but I guess you could say like, I mean... It's just a journey. It's a journey. It's, yeah. a, it's always a journey. And there's always different rules for me where, yeah, I mean, I've gone from being a, you know, a killer to being a psychotic person to being <laughs> a father, being this or being that. And it's clicks. So it's hard yeah. to say, you know, yeah. but you just try to bring your tools of your trade in with you to sort of help build that camaraderie. So the first thing I like to do is obviously get to know my DP, my director. I like to understand where they are, what their thoughts are on the script. If I can meet the script writer, that's great, but usually we don't get that opportunity. But also your co-actors, okay? Like, who are you working with? What are their personalities like? And then kind of pull from that, you know? So as an actor, you're also kind of a pseudo-psychologist in a way. You're always kind of reading people and sort of trying to figure out everybody, right? you know? Yeah, I can relate very well because for me, I'm more of a technical person. All I do is study video, how to do this, how to do the audio and all that. Mm. So starting a podcast is more of me building my confidence to talk. Because yeah. even I, for me, I can't speak very well. I stutter a lot. My earlier episodes when I had Jean Danker and all that, oh, she was my hero, childhood hero. So yeah. I had Jean Danker, oh, I was so nervous. <laughs> if you listen to the episode, you can hear my teeth chattering. So a lot of my earlier episodes were not very good. But through time, I see my guests as less of uh, stars or celebrities. Yeah. Right? We're all just human beings. Yeah, we all are. I mean, honestly, you know, I've gone through that too when the Avengers were in town, you know, for mm. the, I mean. Chris Hemsworth. No, no, no. I'm Robert Downey Jr. Oh, and Benedict man. Cumberbatch. I mean, I, I co-hosted that with beautiful hosts and great talented hosts, uh, Nikki Mueller. And that was nerve wracking. I mean, look, you've got thousands of people in the audience and you've got the biggest Hollywood stars on stage. That's right. You know, with it being broadcast on Facebook around the world, Marvel Studios and everybody's watching, you're going, holy shit. You know, my teeth were chattering. You know, they were, I was nervous. I mean, it happens. It happens all the time. When you were starting out, what do you feel that you had to work on? Is it confidence or is it be a better actor? What do you think that you lacked initially that you had to work on? Confidence. Confidence, confidence, confidence. I think confidence is everything. You know... As an actor, you can hide behind some lack of confidence sometimes within characters, but at the end of the day, the more confident you are, the more relaxed you are, and the more relaxed you are, the better actor you are, and the better communicator you are, and the better you are in everything. And, and I was, I mean, you said, mentioned you stuttered a lot when you were in the beginning. I, I never talked in public. I was a, a wreck. I was a very shy kid growing up and a shy guy for many, many years. So I never talked out in public like this. Right. And I think, I mean, when I got thrown into radio with Gene Danker, my first time radio, I was like, I was a nerve wrack. But I mean, I, I know we're kind of jumping ahead, but to the acting perspective of it all, yeah, you, you build it as you get more you know, confident with your acting and your abilities and your roles. And obviously, the feedback from the audiences, yeah. you know, I mean, that helps out quite a bit. I mean, you know, the support you get from the fans and that means a lot. I mean, some actors, they don't take much credit to it, but I do because without them spending their time watching a show on TV or online, I don't get a job. So whatever their feedback is, if it's constructive, I listen to it. If it's just like wanting to make snide remarks, then you've got to kind of let it brush over, you know. Noise and feedback. Yeah, noise and feedback, but constructive criticism where based on certain things, I will listen. Yeah. 
it's a personal journey for personal growth as well, like for both of us, like, yeah. you know, for you and acting. I think a lot of people struggle with confidence. So it's great that you get paid for your jobs, but at the same time, you get to work on yourself and be a better version of yourself each time you do every project. Every single job I do, I'm always out there trying to improve on myself. Yeah. I never get relaxed or I never say, ah, it is what it is. <laughs> no. Do you still get nervous sometimes? Every job. After the Avengers, maybe, you know, your it's a bit through the roof, your confidence. It's great. It's you feel great, but then now you got to get the next job. Yeah, and you hope that job gets you other jobs. But you'd be surprised. Some people like, no, I don't like this. Oh, or I don't like your. They don't like maybe a style of what I do. Okay, fair enough. Or maybe some people do. It all depends. And that's the thing. You're in this industry. It's about opinions. You know, as good as you think you are, everyone's got an opinion. You know, everyone can say Robert De Niro is the best actor in the world. Some people can say, you know what. No, I like this other actor better. That's right. There's nothing you can do about it. I also feel that having lack of confidence is also a good thing because you don't get too comfortable yeah. doing your job and there's still room for growth and improvement for yourself. Yeah. There's having confidence and then there's being cocky. Yes, yeah, right. And, you know, being confident in who you are as a person is really important. And I think that's something I think a lot of young people are struggling with today, especially with the influx of social media. But yeah. I think knowing who you are, it comes with age, but- don't get too cocky because the moment you get too cocky, you will fail. And that happened to me early on in my career as a live MC. You know, I thought I was, I had an event down. I thought I knew everything and I went out there and I failed and I screwed up. And from that day on, I always remember, do your homework. Don't take it for granted. It's a lot of prep that goes on there yeah. to make the thing better. Yeah. So moving on to radio, how was it like? Was it a great experience? It was. I've loved radio as a kid, but the radio that I loved was talk radio. So Howard Stern, that was a big hero of mine and that, that kind of radio. I feel like he cuts people off a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The way he speaks. Yeah, because I think he wants to get to a point, obviously, for whatever reason. You know, but now with satellite radio, you don't have to worry about commercial breaks so much. And terrestrial radio, you know, you do have to cut people off sometimes because they'll keep going on and yeah. on and on. And you know in your mind, they've hit that point already. Get on to the next yeah. one. Yeah, controlling so the interview. You got to control the interview. So that was the kind of radio that I was always attracted to. So when I was approached to do radio here, actually, no, was, was I? Pro yes. How did I? Oh, actually. Oh, yeah, Wikipedia is here. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, how it worked, no, because this is not in my Wikipedia. This was interesting. It was at a time. Cartoons. Cartoons. So it was at a time that I was after TV and I was like, what am I going to do next really? And I was, I mean, I did have some acting roles, but I couldn't survive off acting mm. and I couldn't really model anymore because I was doing acting. So it was this kind of like this weird space I was in where I was only making money on certain things. And so I was having a dinner with some friends one night and they said, what about radio? And I thought that would be great. So she actually contacted one of the managers at Class 95 and then they called me in for a, an interview. And basically just to kind of do a voice test and just talk to me a little bit. And then it was quiet for about a month or so. And so I would message back and forth, hey, any updates? And then they said, actually, yeah, there is an update. We want to bring you on board and we want to put you on cartoons. And I'm like, what? I don't have any experience at all. And they're like, no, 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 but it'll be okay. It'll be okay because Gene's a veteran and this and that. And we'll, you'll go through some training. I'm like, okay, you know, and I think obviously they were, you know, using part of my... TV popularity at the time because I was doing a lot of TV shows and you know obviously my my public relationship and everything all all that was in the media so I was kind of like the guy that you know let's bank off a little bit of that to put me on radio and that's how I started you know and I was scared man because I've never been in the public eye like that I mean when you do a TV show you act you're done it gets edited it's put on TV that's it mm. but with radio you're live every single day you screw you make up, a mistake everybody hears you know, and it was tough in the very beginning because I just didn't have the chops. And, you know, I did get some criticism on Twitter and on Facebook. I mean, people were like, you know, and then I do remember that my partner at the time, she told me, she said, look, that's where she get, kind of said, if they're just talking crap, so to speak, and they're not giving you constructive criticism, ignore it. But if they're giving you constructive criticism that you think is valuable to you, listen to it. And if you keep getting repetitive things, then that means there's something there. So, that, that did help me in a lot of ways. And then from there, I grew and Gene was a great partner. And radio was, it was a very interesting time for me. It was just a, it was a new medium altogether, but I realized how limited we were in radio. You can't talk about a lot of things in radio. You mean like you can't swear? On no, I mean, not just radio, but that, but you, there's not a lot of social topics you can talk about. It's uh, not like right. in America or in Australia 
or in other countries where you can- Oh, just, they don't give a fuck. Right, exactly. They can talk about everything. Yeah. <laughs> in Singapore, you can't. Actually, there's more restrictions on radio than there is, I think, yeah. even on TV. MBA is like, hmm. Oh, yeah. Constantly the, looming all over. Completely. Which, fair enough, I understand to some extent, but I do <laughs> think that once you don't have those conversations that everybody else is having in, yeah. at home or at, the, or at the office place, you lose that relationship with the audience. And after a while, you're just- cracking jokes and repeating the same stuff over and over again because there's nothing else you can talk about. That's right. The public are so woke and smart nowadays that they can call your bluff. You know, like for example, like if they read the news and they see on the newspaper, like 95% of Singaporeans say that happiness is at an all-time high. That's the thing with the radio. You can't challenge that. Yeah. You can't go around. And I never really tried to do that. I mean, I got in trouble a couple of times for making some- Pushing the envelope. <laughs> pushing the envelope, but not with government. I always respected that. But it was just more in terms of other things or jokes with people or things like that. Right. You know, I mean, it was very funny. You get these things sometimes and you get warnings from people like, okay, yeah. I like. And you just go, but that's nothing. Come on, guys. But again, everybody's walking on eggshells, of course, because of that. As time goes on- it gets more sensitive and sensitive. To the point that radio doesn't become relevant anymore to the average listener wanting to hear about topics yeah, throughout the day. That's right. You know? And that's, unfortunately, I feel will be one of the things that reduces the listenership of radio is that they just don't feel it's relevant. That conversation they're having with their friends on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, they are not going to hear it. Yeah. You that's know? how you see, like, you have people like Dikosh or Hirzi who are not afraid to voice out their own opinion on the current topics, you know? Sure. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, at the same time, there's one half of people who agree with you and then the other half give you backlash. Of course. These guys are too honest. But you know what? They'll keep listening to hear what you say next. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing about these things. It, it drives a conversation. And sometimes that can end up being a good thing versus a bad thing. But unfortunately, a lot of people who are, have a more conservative mindset are automatically, they think that that conversation will become a negative, but actually can be turned into a positive. Yeah, so how the individual takes the information. Yeah. Right. So what about working with Ross? Is she a different dynamic? Ross is a very different dynamic. I mean, the, we, me and Ross, we had two very different work styles. And, you know, it was, we had our challenges. We did, but we had a lot of our challenges. We had a lot of challenges. And okay, when you do morning radio, first off, no matter how long you do it, the first thing in the morning you get in there, it's tough. Yeah. You've got to be full of energy, wide awake, <laughs> and you're doing it for four hours. And when you have different work styles, and we kind of got thrown into it right away, you know, and we knew of each other and we knew each other socially a little bit, but we didn't know each other as friends. Right. You know, and I think that we had challenges, but we had some great times together. She was a great listener when I was going through some really hard times in my personal life. She was a great person to be around with. She is a very loyal friend. But you know, with any partnership, you have your ups and downs, you know? But I think at the end of it, we ended up becoming closer friends. And yeah, we're still yeah. friends to this day. We hang out, we chat, and we can confide in each other. And she's a great person, yeah. Of course, I think Mediacorp will never capitalize on this. But I like how these days, like whether it's soccer or wrestling, audience invest a lot on the personal lives of the people involved more than the sport itself. Yeah. Like for example, you know, like The Rock, like, what's he doing? Who is he getting married to? Oh, he doesn't like Tyrese Gibson or whatever. So stuff like this, you know, maybe adds to the flavor to the show. But yeah, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock for me when I had Martins and I had Jean on. So to me, you guys are just DJs, you know, right. from, as a listener perspective. But then to know like, oh, some of these guys don't get along with each other. It's like, oh. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of politics in radio, to be yeah. frank. But there's a lot. And, you know, people that you think that are really nice to you in person, they don't like you behind you. You find out they yeah. don't like you behind your back. I mean, that happens. And then sometimes there's Twitter and then there's like public, oh, oh, yeah. oh this person posted this about this guy. There's <laughs> a lot of that stuff, man. You know, I, you know, and it's unfortunate, you know, I mean. Look, this industry is competitive, There, it's political, it's all those things. I mean, there is drama behind the drama, yeah. you know? I mean, and yeah, it is more interesting for a lot of listeners to, to go through these things. I mean, look, I'll tell you what, when I was, you know, when I was dating my previous, my, my previous girlfriend, right, we were in the public a lot. And a lot of people were just very curious about our personal relationship. And it's a driving force. It definitely is because they want to know these things and they judge you based on those things, you know? and then. When you go through a bad breakup or a, a big dramatic moment in your life, all of a sudden, you know, they're judging you as well. Like, yeah. who's the good person? Who's the bad person? Who did this? Who did that? And you're not going to win everybody's favor. You're just not going to do it. But that's part of the job. In entertainment today, it's the same thing, even more so with social media. So there are things that we have to, and I'm not a kind of person that likes to put my whole personal life out there. 
You know, I don't document everything I do daily, but I realize I have to do a little bit more because people want to know more about you. If you're just yeah. always polished and always looking great on social media, and but nobody knows who you really are, you know, after a while, they don't feel they're connected to you. It's almost like it's a criteria nowadays. Like if you're in the entertainment industry, you have to have an Instagram. So yeah. The bigger your fan base is, the more opportunities or jobs you'll be able to get. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it, that's definitely part of it. And they also the people want to connect with you. They want to know you more, you know, and it's probably been a fault of mine that I haven't been more open about who I am. And, you know, and I guess after, you know, it's good for them to know who you are, understand yeah. who you are a little bit more. I mean, I don't look at social media like my personal diary. Some people do that. It's never a diary. Look, it's not. You know, there's certain things I'm going to keep to myself and certain th topics or thoughts I will. But you don't let people know when you're going through a tough time, a good time, you know, you're going through trials and tribulations in your life. So, and it relates to people because everybody's going through those things, you know? I struggle with that a lot because for my podcast, in order for me to want to flourish, I have to be some sort of like influencer-esque. Like, you know, I have, yeah. I have to be a bit more active on social media. Right. But at the same time, I have no urge or interest to post a selfie every single day yeah. and, you know, to engage with the fans. So, what do you think about my hairstyle today? Do you like this? <laughs> this still? If, I, if, I do, if I do that, please message me and tell me, just don't, stop. don't stop. Just say stop that, please. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know if I go down that road, yeah. my podcast will probably be a bit more successful, but it's just not my thing. So I just find a balance in between, you know. Uh, I mean, I think you just got to find your voice in, in your voice and not just the tone, your, your voice coming out of you, but your voice out there, you know, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still trying to find that as well because as, you know, being in my 40s now, and obviously I'm still, I'm not old, but I am older considering a lot of other artists out there, you know, so how do I find that voice in social media for those people out there and how do I relate to people? And it's always a challenge. I find it a big challenge nowadays. Moving on for that yeah. topic, I asked you like what topics we want to talk about and you mentioned plastic straws, not, not plastic straws. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sustainability stuff? Yeah. No, we were just joking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. because it's, I, I it's interesting know, time. Like, recently, I went to KFC and then I purchased a meal mm. and they gave me a Coke with the cap yeah. on it. So I was like desperately looking for the straws. Like, where the hell is the straws? And I didn't want to ask the cashier because if I asked, then they'd be like, oh, it's right in front of your eyes, you know, yeah. somewhere. So I asked and then she said that, oh, we don't offer straws anymore. So, like, so, so I look at my drink, which is like, obviously has a cap on it. It's like, how am I supposed to drink this? I know. It's it's very funny, right? It, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> that's an interesting one. You know, mm. I mean, I I applaud her passion but I, I have some questions about the whole, I mean, not, nothing about her. I think that there's, she's, you know, it's, she's it's, a child. She's a child. She's a young girl. There's no reason she's going to go through that journey. We all do at an age and she's passionate and that's great. But I will say as a whole, the whole sustainability thing, I think there's pros to it and there's cons. And the pros are that it's great that we're all more aware of the environment. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the history of all of this, and I was young enough to remember that there was paper bags everywhere. That's right. There was paper straws everywhere. And then one day, everybody was like, look, we've got to save the trees. The trees are being burnt. The trees are being used for paper and all this stuff. Save the trees. Save the forests. So what do we do? We move to plastic. Now, everybody's like, plastic is bad and move back to paper. That's right. And then metal straws, which I'm thinking is a, that's a dentist wet dream right there because every dentist is thinking, yeah, <laughs> metal straws are great. How many chipped teeth are we going to be repairing now? You know, I mean, because it's just putting a metal straw in your mouth. It's, yeah, it's not, not the smartest thing in my personal opinion. People but, chew on straws. I, I know, they do like, they like one because they got that thing. But I think that a happy medium is good. And I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, you know, why doesn't somebody, instead of all this like, why don't they create a machine where it could be like a garbage disposal at your home or like a paper shredder, but you put your plastic in there and it just disintegrates it like that. And then from there you can, you know, throw it out and it goes to whatever it can be into. So it just makes life a lot easier. And somebody will invent this one day and it will make life a lot easier. But I feel like there's this extremism going on there. But then I look at it like, okay, great. But for those third world countries or those people that live in a kampong or a village that maybe get $200 a month and all they're trying to do is put food on their family's plate that day, they don't care about the straws. They just want to live. So, you know, for the wealthier, the more affluent, yes, it's great to be aware, but obviously those people are the ones going to be, they're not going to worry about all this stuff, you know? So 
There's got to be a balance, you know? Yeah. Do you go to 7-Eleven very often? Yeah, 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 I go there. I remember back then that there's like Mr. Slurpee or whatever, there's, and there's eatable straws. Oh. There're straws made out of candy. So like, basically, you, oh, drink, yeah. you drink the Slurpee and yeah. then you can eat the straw. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes you go to like certain places where they give you porridge in a braided bowl. Yeah. So I always thought the idea of it being able to eat your utensils. It's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. it's, not, it's not a bad idea. You know, I mean, why not? I mean, people will try different things and there will yeah. be... Things that come about, and I, but I just think that obviously it goes into like, oh, the world's going to be extinct in twelve years or ten years. And I mean, people are going to extremes to try to do this stuff. But you know, when they talk about this, all of this stuff, you know, remember when Al Gore had this whole inconvenient truth a number of years ago? Yeah, and he was saying, oh, by this date, the world's going to be like this, mm. and it turned out not to happen. Yeah, exactly. And it turned out to happen. It turned out not to happen. And so I kind of like, I take it all with a grain of salt. I mean, some people, like I said, I think it's great to be aware. But I feel that a lot of people do it for it's in vogue. It's the new thing to be a part of. Yeah. But I feel that everybody can do their part. But look, like anything else, moderation is key. We got you can't turn it, change things overnight. But you can't scold people for not agreeing to you right away. You know, I mean, it's been years of of a way of doing things. Say the world is gonna end tomorrow. Yeah. Asteroid is like striking Earth. What will you be doing today? Oh man. <laughs> I just think just be around my loved ones, man. I think that'd be it. Play with your dog. Yeah, probably play. Well, she's in quarantine till Monday. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, just be around my loved ones, man, because that's it. That's all you got with us. Yeah. You know, we, we don't know where we're going after this. We think we do. Books tell us where we're going somewhere, you yeah. know, and our religious leaders, but we don't know until we get there. Yeah. And it's also sad to know that all the money you've tried to earn in your bank account, you, you can't bring it anywhere. You, you can't bring it anywhere. Yeah. All you got is your memories, you know, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sometimes, you know, when it comes to money, I don't even know why, how we came to this subject. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be frugal and thrifty, but at the same time, you have to be able to enjoy yourself and spend it as well. You do. You know, it's interesting. I, my late father, who passed away when, you know, I was 25 years old. and He was, I think, 65. In the gambling scene, he's seen so much he's misery. Seen so much. <laughs> he did, but he was a very much a big saver. And he always wanted to, when he retired, he wanted to go travel the world. You know, he wanted to go to Italy to see where his family was from and everything else right. like that. And he never got the chance to do it because, unfortunately, he had cancer and he passed away. But it's one of those things where, you know, if you go back in time, be like, go, take two weeks and go see the world. Yes, you're going to spend a little bit of money, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah. But I also do, do think that some people just spend money ridiculously. And I was guilty of that early on in my career, making money and then spending it like it was water and not having any savings and going, shoot, you know, when I, when it is a rainy day and I really need it, where's it at, you know, and it's in fashion and clothes and accessories and stuff that I'll never be able to, you know, Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like this thriftiness is a very common trait amongst the older generation. Mm. Like my dad and my mom is like that. So they have like a buttload of money in their bank account, but they'll never spend it and they'll eat like prata in the morning, 40 cents or $1 prata. Yeah. Even though they could have afford, you know, whatever. But it, like, it's like not something that I feel like this generation is keeping up. Which might be, it might be a good thing or it might be a bad thing. We yeah. don't know yet. I mean, it could be a point that this new generation is heavily in debt because they've just spent everything. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, and then the parents can be like, hey, see, we told you to save. You know? Yeah. Nice. We were talking about financial with yeah. Bobby Tanali. <laughs> who would have got who would have thought this guy topic comes up? Exactly. Uh, we're gonna wind down a little bit. It's, yeah. Oh, it's already been one hour. Wow. Very easy sixty minutes with you. You can chat, man. We can chat about anything, man. I'm cool. I, I like I like talking. So anything you want to talk about, we hit right. an email. But <laughs> so you wind down any unpleasant experience so far that you've had? Yeah, I mean you, you do. You get in you get in fights with colleagues at times, you get in arguments, you get in disagreements. I mean, it happens no matter what you do. I mean, I'm not going to air them out and just go on public and just say like who was with whatever, but you do, you've gone through these throughout your years. You always will. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect, but I think it's just how you handle it and how you go on from there, you know? And look, we always think that these problems are the biggest problems in the world, but they're really not. That's right. You know, I think we will always bounce back. Yeah. All right, so what's exciting in the future schedule of Bobby Tony LA? Oh, man. What's it looking up in the horizons? Ah, shoot. Work-wise? Yeah, I'm sure there are things you can speak about, like uh, secret projects. I mean, there's some stuff, some secret stuff happening. Not, well, nothing really major, major per se, but some stuff happening. But television-wise, I'm going to do, my, I think, my first drama, or at least the pilot of a new drama, English drama. It's the first one in, since 2014. 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting that in November. And then I was going to be shooting a Nat Geo show this year. That'll be going next year. 
I don't know, man. Honestly, to speak with you, it, it really depends. You know, I mean, I still do some of the tech stuff. I still like to review tech products. I do that on YouTube quite a bit and try to do the whole social media thing on that end of it. But it's an interesting time for me. Honestly, it's kind of this, I would say it's a transition period again, where I'm acting. I'm Because people ask me like, well, how come you're not acting anymore? I'm like, I still do. But yeah, it's not up to me to, to I mean, if it's up to me, I'd be acting all the time but it's up to the television stations or the production companies to hire you. But I've been getting more into hosting and much more into you know YouTube and things like that and working with corporations on certain projects and stuff like that and photography and things. So it's interesting It's an interesting time for me. I mean, at times I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm a, like lost. Okay, like what's going to happen next? But that's kind of the excitement of it too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You went for like maybe baseball player to artist to modeling to radio to acting and all that so is there anything that you've always wanted to try maybe oh. as skydiving no 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 i mean i for me would love to i would like to do one of these like travel shows you know you go, go around the world and travel and do some really cool stuff that would be great to do that i mean i would love to obviously you know, act in some feature films. I mean, I did a small thing on Westworld that was going to be airing next year. Oh, really? Yeah. The you know, simulation TV show, right? Yeah, the one that was in, yeah. So they were in Singapore for a week and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, we, we, I worked on that, yeah. I mean, I would like to, you know, people say, well, do you want to go to Hollywood and try it again? And part of me does, just to see where my skill set is now versus when I was when I was there in my early 20s. Not for these big bright eyed dreams of making a big role right away because that probably wouldn't happen. But just to see, go in the room and see where I'm at and go, okay, you know what? I still got it or ah, maybe this isn't for me anymore, you know? But maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. I don't know. But don't know, man. Don't know. It's maybe good. Fast and Furious 20. <laughs> <laughs> never know, man. The series that never dies. Never. I know, right? Never dies. But I, I don't know. You know, that's... <laughs> but I, I would like to do more of that those kind of travel things. I would like to do more of those things, talk, you know, relating to people on camera, talk, having a talk show or doing stuff like that. I enjoy yeah. that a lot. Do yeah. you enjoy just learning? Because you, when you do yeah. stuff, you're just constantly just learning new things. I love it. That's um, the best part, right? I love it. Rather I than love, just doing the job itself. I love the, I love learning about everything all the time, you know, and it's fun. It's exciting. And it keeps you, keeps you young. Yeah. It keeps you young because there's so many new things like, you know, esports and all this stuff that I'm getting into now. It's like, yeah. wow. Okay. Like esports is a know, thing now. Yeah. It's huge. And yeah. the funny thing is that when I was growing up, you know, like I like playing video games, but I was like, okay, if I'm playing video games all day, I'm not working. And if I'm not working, then I'm not, I'm wasting my time. But now it's different. The whole concept of yep. esports and gaming is, this is a big thing. You yeah. know, it's the fastest growing sport in the world. So, you know, it's different. So I'm like, I got to get on this, you know? 15-year-old me will be so disappointed if I tell him that, you know, I enjoy learning. But he'll be excited to know that, you know, that you can actually play games for a living now. Exactly, right? Yeah. That didn't happen to me, especially when we were 15. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So any message to the fans? And by fans, I mean all the thirsty girls listening. To you know, it's funny you said that. I'm like, what do you got? You probably got one or two girls that mentioned my name. <laughs> like, come on, man. I mean... It, You're pretty much very requested, you know, amongst my listeners. Oh, it's very kind. It's very yeah. sweet. I mean, look, I, I'm very flattered by that. And even if it's one or two people or... If it's your mom or your cousin, <laughs> I'm very flattered, honestly. I mean, it's great to be part of this. I mean, just thank you for the support and thanks for following me. And just, you know, I mean, that's all I would say. Thank you. Because there's not one day I go about doing what I do that I'm not grateful for the people that support me. So I'm able to do these things. And I, you know, I do see some actors that are a little bit, you know, that they don't think that way. And I feel that they need to take a step back because if it's not for those people and not for the fans and not for you know, people that follow you on social media that, you know, like every post you put up there or want to ask you questions, then we're not doing our job. All right. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, man. Thank yeah, you thanks, so man. Much. Thanks. Thank you so much for doing this. It's, well, it's very easy one hour with you. Oh, it's cool. We had such an easy conversation. And I, I'm really glad you came here. I got a question for you. Yeah. Who's the hardest interview you ever had? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I really hope she's not listening. But it's not the hardest. But it's probably my interview with Unshu N. Yep. It's not her, it's me. So for me, doing podcasting is very hard because I'm managing the, the audio and I'm thinking about all these questions. So it, it's this is not actually a one-man job. Right. You, you actually, by to do a podcast, you have to have a producer and all that. It's a lot of work. So for me, yeah. So for me, I'm juggling all these things. The hardest part is for me to concentrate having a conversation with my guests. Yeah. So I think just a lot of things just went wrong that day. So it, it wasn't like a difficult guest. Like she's, she's a sweet person. She's a very nice person. It was just that a lot of stuff went wrong with the interview. No, no, no. It happens. Yeah. It happens, man. It happens. I, a lot of things goes wrong, but... 
surprisingly, some of my listeners says it's one of the better episodes. <laughs> You yeah. know, that's the funny thing about this, yeah. this stuff. You know, it's like sometimes the more challenging ones end up to be more interesting for whatever reason. There's an energy, a different dynamic. Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Okay, great. All right, thank you so much for doing this. No and worries. Happy birthday again. Thank- Do you feel cake, your dog? I hope it's not chocolate. No, 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 no. It's not chocolate cake. Actually, the funny thing is, is that my partner, she ordered a dog cake. It was, okay. was beef-based, okay. but it looked chocolate on the top. And I was yeah. like, and I said, is that chocolate? She said, no, 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 it's not. I said, because we I cannot get- know. Yeah, no, she knows. I said, not, no, she said, I ordered from a bakery. So that was a right. dog bakery. So I said- I was oh. worried for a second. <laughs> yeah, I almost thought about putting it on the post. Like, by the way, this isn't chocolate because people will think that it yeah. just give your dog You're chocolate. Dog. Yeah, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Trust me. I uh, that, We figured as much, right? but that's a moment where it's a bit worrying. Like, I, I probably should put a, po- a disclaimer. By the way, there's no chocolate on this cake. Yeah. for anybody this word because there are a lot of animal uh, lovers out there. I mean, no one's met, asked me that question directly, but if yeah. you're thinking that, probably other people are thinking that as well. And I thought the same thing when I first saw that cake. I'm like, yeah. whoa. Is not- <laughs> it's your birthday, so why do you feed your dog? <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> My partner, she's like, look, I got a, I got a cake for you and her name is uh, Praha. And I was like, but it's a dog cake. I'm like, okay. So it's like, well, all right. It's cute for her. It was just kind of like celebrating my birthday with her. So instead of like giving me a cake in front of her, which she can't eat, then she gets the cake and, you know, we just <laughs> do it. But it was just something cute we were doing. I think it's our first dog together. Right. And it's her first dog that she's ever had. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just kind of trying something different, you know? Yeah. But yeah, she's been in quarantine for almost 30 days. So, because your dog or my dog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not my partner. No, 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 no. <laughs> she's a zombie. No, no, no. She's okay. Yeah. No, my dog is because of, uh, she came from Indonesia. So, right, right. yeah. Okay. Oh, we keep saying that we're going to end the interview and then we keep. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot of editing with me, man. We just can't stop talking, man. I know, I know. <laughs> no, but it was really a fun conversation, man. Thanks so much. My pleasure, man. Thank you.